As you look back on your marriage, let me ask, uh, what's one of the funniest things that you've experienced together? And maybe it wasn't funny at the time, but you look back to it and you laugh about it. I mean, for me, it was our honeymoon. Adina and I enjoyed a really lovely secluded cabin away from everywhere. It was really nice. But we had a frightening situation because one night um, we're laying in bed. It's the middle of the night and I'm awakened by a noise. And there's something happening in the cabin. It took me a few moments to kind of figure it out, but then I heard the noise again. And I lay there thinking, I am Dina's protector. I am the new the new husband. I've got to take care of this. <laughs> yeah. And I summoned up the courage to get out uh, of bed and I crept in toward the kitchen. I uh, crouched down because I knew somebody might hit me or something, and I I was just ready for action. I turned on the light switch, (laughs) and there in front of me was a mouse zigzagging (laughs) across the kitchen. The light came on. The mouse scurried under the, the stove, and I went back to bed, heart pounding. It took me quite a while just to kind of calm down and get back to sleep, but every time I bring up the mouse. We smile and we chuckle to ourselves about that really dangerous time in the cabin. And how about you, Aaron? Greg, uh, what story do you have? (laughs) You know, I think one of my favorite memories with Aaron was when she and I climbed one of the 14,000 foot peaks here in the Colorado Springs area. It's a Pikes Peak. And as I look back, I I love it because it contained so many unique elements from when we started off singing and laughing and joking because it was pretty easy through the trees and the, the trail wasn't difficult yet. Yeah. And then it got Then difficult. you hit tree line. <laughs> we hit tree line, but there were these dogs yeah. that had gas. <laughs> they were tooting <laughs> in front of us. And so we would be walking going... Craig, I can't. What, what is going eat? on I'm with like, you? I didn't do anything. And it was these two dogs that kept running in front of us. We get, we get towards the top. And There's get, not enough air anyway. I and know. That just made it worse. Exactly. Yeah. You're having to breathe through your nose, and and then we get towards the top and and get caught in a snowstorm. This is in August. Oh here in Colorado. But it wasn't just a snowstorm. It was like ice pellets. It hurt. Pelting yeah. into Very your face. So. Stinging. Yes, stinging, and you couldn't see anything, and so we were guiding our way through. The most hilarious we're thing We're getting is, to the fun part, right? Yeah. <laughs> the most hilarious thing was getting to the top, and you kind of pull yourself up over the ledge, and there's tourists standing there. Yeah. Going, All these fat people eating hot dogs going, <laughs> and hey. donuts. And they're going, donuts. hey, was it fun? And we were Five like, hours later. Yeah, we were oh like, right gosh. now it was wasn't fun, but looking back on that, we laugh and yeah. cry yeah. <laughs> over that experience. Well, I think there's a there, this really is what marriage is uh, all about. You you find the moment to laugh about whether it was funny at the time or not. Maybe it was a train wreck of a <laughs> of a situation, but you can laugh about it. And uh, that's one of the joys of listening to a good comedian. They pull things out of real life, and you laugh. And right now, we're going to hear from John Branion, who has some really funny ways of describing changes that occurred in his marriage. And we're going to hear part of a stand-up routine that John did in front of a live audience. And I think you and your spouse are going to enjoy this. You know, I've been, I've been married for 21 years. Same person. And I think that the secret to a long-term relationship is flexibility, adaptation. You've got to pretty much bend with the wind or it'll just knock you flat. <laughs> because it's always in a state of flux. It's always changing. I mean, after 21 years, she's not the same girl that I married. The relationship is a lot more intense. 
She asks me questions. <laughs> questions that I don't know the answers to. Because they are questions that no man has ever known the answers to. Deep, probing, impossible questions. What are you thinking? I'm a guy. I'm thinking nothing. Zero, zilt, zip, nada, nothing. She's a girl. Girls cannot think nothing. That never happens. When her mind is blank, there's still billions of calculations flying through it. Angles being considered, thoughts being processed and organized, colors being coordinated. She's like a 4 gigahertz, 256 terabyte file serving computer. I'm like that little solar calculator that comes free with cigarettes. And I still spend time with other guys. You know, me and the guys go out, we talk. Never once have I ever said, hey, Al, what you thinking? Because I don't care. Plus, he's a guy. I know what he's thinking. Nothing. Has this ever happened to you? Saturday morning, I'm minding my own business on my way out to mow the yard or something. And she stops me. Are you going to wear that outside? <laughs> I'm just going to mow. What's the big deal? Look at your shirt. Look at your pants. Look at those socks. I don't want the neighbors to see you looking like that. <laughs> Sunday morning, I come out the same door on the way to church. She stops me again for an appraisal of her outfit. Okay, sweetheart. How do I look? Why are you asking me? I'm not qualified to dress myself. <laughs> she wants to borrow stuff from me that I never have, like tissue and Kleenex. Can I borrow a tissue? John, I need a tissue. Can I have a tissue, sweetie? Hmm? No, men don't carry Kleenex. To a guy, carrying Kleenex and wearing long sleeves is redundant. <laughs> you know, let's face it, if men carry Kleenex, this would never been invented. I've never been a belonger. In high school, it was that way, growing up, all the way through high school. The car I drove in high school was a brown Chevy Vega. <laughs> Two doors and three speeds. And that was a chick magnet. It's a poor man's Pinto. And girls would say things to me, you know, to try to make me feel better. You know how girls do. They'd say stuff to boost my spirits, try to let me down easy. It's like a ton of bricks. <laughs> oh, I care about you, John. I care about you. I think about you like a brother. <laughs> so I had no girlfriends in high school. But I had more sisters than the Catholic Church.
And then a couple of years after graduation, this miracle, along came Lori, along came this girl, and she said, I love you. I really love you. <laughs> I should have been suspicious right there. <laughs> I should have known I was in over my head, and we started planning the wedding, planning the wedding. We had to have a wedding rehearsal. That's what she told me. You've got to have a wedding rehearsal, John. I'm like, why? Is it tricky? She goes, yes, it's tricky. Let me show you my part. We rehearsed this over and over again. Let me show you my part in the wedding. <laughs> By the sixth time, I had it down. <laughs> I, don't mind. I don't mind rehearsing. I just wish we would practice something. There were so many things I needed practice on. There were so many things I didn't know how to do. Still don't know how to do them. Consequently, 20 years later, I'm still... I could have used practice on a thousand things. I could have used practice dropping off to sleep at night with a pair of sub-zero feet in my back. Frostbitten my kidneys. I could have used practice standing in the women's clothing department in front of the dressing room door holding her purse, trying to, trying to hang on to a shred of masculine dignity. used to each other, just occupying the same sleeping space at the same time. That's what's difficult, getting used to each other's nuances. She's a morning person. She's a morning person. The sun barely breaks over the horizon. She's hovering over the bed. <gasps> Looks like we had the sun's up. The sky is blue. The birds are singing. It's going to be a great day. It's time to get up, up, up. You know what I would rather hear at 6 o'clock in the morning? <coughs> Everyone on the ground, this is a stick-up. Because <laughs> at least the stick-up guys will let you lay down. <laughs> the, birds, the birds are singing. That is the only sound that they know how to make. You know what I think? I think one bird gets up early, and the noise outside the window is all the other birds going, Shut up! <laughs> and even climbing into bed together, occupying the same sleeping space takes... You know, she's my wife. I, lo I love her. But there are still times when... I will climb into bed next to her. I pull her over close. I can smell her perfume. Start to kiss the back of her neck. Blow in her ear. She looks over at me and says, What are you thinking?
gosh, I don't know. What are you thinking? <laughs> she goes, I was just thinking that if we fold the dish towel small. They will fit more efficiently into the kitchen drawer. That is exactly what I was thinking. Let's go do it now. Maybe while we're up, I can spackle. then into the relationship came the children. We had four babies. Somehow. <laughs> Spackling accident. <laughs> and that changes everything. I learned so much. I learned that they separate pregnancy. I learned to separate pregnancy into three things called trimesters. And the reason they're called trimesters is because during that time, the husband tries to mester up the strength. To, to stay in the house with a pregnant woman. The first, first trimester, first trimester, two cells come together, form a tiny human being. The second trimester, that tiny human being begins to grow. And in the third trimester, the pregnant woman changes from a human being <laughs> into a Tasmanian devil. <laughs> and so I come in the front door and she's boom, back, back, We're going to be hearing more from John Branion in just a little while, and you might be asking yourself, why is laughing with my spouse so important? Well, we have the answer. Pastor Ted Cunningham is the author of a book called A Love That Laughs, and here he is talking with Focus President Jim Daly about why laughter is good for your marriage. Hey, Ted, I want to hit the benefits of laughter. Because, again, for the scientists in the audience, yeah. tell me why. What's the benefit oh, of laughter? Well, hit it. It's yeah. quite expansive. And, and you mentioned the engineers. Uh, they're going to love Chapter 2, which is 38 benefits of laughter. Right. Yeah. And to what see are they? the purpose. Well, the, the mental, the physical, the emotional, the relational. And then I end that list with the spiritual, the spiritual benefits. Uh, the most, most research went into that chapter uh, of the book, but we we just talk about how it manages stress, and you can work through difficult situations and conversations like we just have already really talked about. Uh -huh. But it bonds us, it eases tension, diffuses anger, lightens the mood. I, I mean, and I go all the way through it. Even makes you more attractive. You know, I tell the guys, <laughs> I tell the young guys in our church who feel like, man, I'm never going to find a woman. Well, you don't need, you know, the the face of Brad Pitt, the body of the rock, or the attitude of Tony Stark. <laughs> you, well, you need a paycheck and a few jokes. That's what I tell the guys in our church all the time. You just need a paycheck and a few jokes. But 
women find men with a sense of humor attractive. And you're like, well, I don't have a sense of humor. Well, that's why we talk about these benefits, because it's something you can work on. I mean, that should be convincing right there. What's the difference between choosing and pursuing laughter rather than just waiting for it to happen? How can we choose laughter? Well, I've always been gripped with Scott Stanley's definition of choice, of choosing, when he says decisions have power. And I love that because we talk about decisions all the time. You need to make decisions. So this is one of those decisions, a choice that you make, and it has power when we've decided. And now that's the decision. But then the pursuing is we're looking for it all day long. We're finding the opportunities. I can tell you, me laughing six times a day, if that's the average adult laughter, that is not for me. That is not for my home. That is that's not underachieving for you. Oh, that's way underachieving. <laughs> I want if, if I don't if I get to lunch and I've only laughed six times. I don't think. I'm, now that seems I'm like a high bar it. all of a sudden. You've laughed thirty or forty times already today, Jim. <laughs> well, I'm just saying for the person that, that doesn't come naturally, that could sound really overwhelming. Now, it, wow, six times before lunch, <laughs> and that's low. Now you've intimidated me. Yeah, and I know there are jobs that that are serious, and you're not cracking jokes and I, I just want people to get the emphasis of this book is not joke writing the emphasis of this book is finding joy it's your heart humor yeah and looking for lighthearted moments throughout the day we find it in our kids we find it in our marriage we can find it in our jobs we can find it at the dmv we can find it while driving it's <laughs> everywhere you turn it's just it's just the decision that you make is i can be frustrated on this customer service call right now or I can have fun with it. That's the pursuit part. So I make the decision. I'm going to find joy in life. I'm going to enjoy life with my wife, Ecclesiastes 9.9. A cheerful heart is good medicine. These are all decisions that we've made. Now we pursue it. And the book is full of over 100 practical ways to pursue Mm. laughter and humor in your marriage. Okay, so somebody who's not had a high degree of humor in their marriage, and they're saying, okay, I heard Ted Cunningham today. I'm focused on the family. I'm I'm gonna go for it tonight. And then, boom, their humor just bombs. And now they they may give up. But what would be your encouragement to the person who's attempting humor in their marriage, but it's not landing right? So we've already talked about timing, but if I give some low-hanging fruit for humor and laughter. And I think singing and dancing are the lowest... the lowest forms of comedy because people will say the same thing. Well, I'm not good at singing. Well, that's the point. Right. That's what's funny. I I, I can't, I don't have rhythm. I can't, I can't dance. Well, that's the point, right? Commitment is everything. I'll walk off stage after I, I hear a comedian bomb and they'll go, man, what happened? I go, the problem was you weren't committed to the joke. And when you're not committed to it, the person receiving is not going to be committed to it. We've all seen comedians give up on stage and be like, oh man, if they weren't into it, I'm not going to be into it. So I think the person who hasn't pursued humor or hasn't made the decision to pursue it, they they just haven't been working that muscle. They just got to get into a point yeah. where they're committed to it and trying and attempting. And this is a big, important part. I cover this in the book over actually a couple pages. So there's physical benefits to laughter. We all know that. You breathe in yeah. oxygen, rich air. Vanderbilt University says... You know, you can burn uh, up to 40 calories with 10 to 15 minutes of belly laughing. That's why I say, so don't go work out, just <laughs> help each other laugh. And this is the cool part. Your body cannot tell the difference between fake and real laughter. So I tell wives, when your husband's attempting it, fake it, right? <laughs> laugh, like just fake the laughter, <laughs> pursue it. And and this is key, it, it'll, it'll catch on. Uh, MD Anderson, Cancer Treatment Centers of America, um, 
the the Mayo Clinic, they have laughter therapy. They're not saying that laughter heals the body, but they know laughter is a great way to help people through Mm. the treatments. And one of the things they do is they just sit around in circles and they fake laugh. Okay, but (laughs) get this on video. That fake laughter can turn into real laughter, but just like a yawn, laughter's contagious. Well, it will. And you watch somebody fake laughing, and you're like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen, and it starts to trigger something in you. Well, Ted Cunningham does such a great job of explaining how keeping things lighthearted can really benefit your marriage, and his book, A Love That Laughs, has a lot of uh, additional great insights. It's on our website, and we're going to link to that in the show notes. So, Greg and Aaron, besides uh, some of the things we heard from Ted, how has laughter helped your relationship? Yeah, I think laughter is the safest distance between two people. Hmm. There's a way in which when Aaron is just being lighthearted, when she's being funny, fun, we're having, enjoying whatever the moment is, there's just a way for me that it just feels super, super safe. It's, it feels like I can really, really... Relax and any, you know, even in those moments that there's a lot of tension. Um, I remember one time I was uh, here at the office at Focus and it had come out of a, a pretty intense meeting. And I was sitting at my desk and Aaron calls. So I pick it up and I'm just kind of down a little bit. And she goes, I got to tell you about the funniest thing that just happened. (laughs) I love when I call you at work and you're down and I can make you laugh. So I had told Greg I was leaving work that day to go and play Bunko. Um, You know, the game that lots of women like to play. You roll dice and and it's a very easy game, brain dead. And Focus on the Family does not endorse Bunko, but continue. And so I was going to play Bunko at lunch. And Greg's like, why are you going to play Bunko at lunch? I'm like... I don't know. That's when they want to play. I don't know. So I put the address in my GPS and I drive to where we're playing Bunko at lunch. And, you know, your uh, GPS says you have arrived. So I pulled over, got out, and there was a sign that said at this, I walked up the walkway and there was a sign that said, come on in. So I went inside this house and I was looking around thinking, I don't recognize any of these women. That's weird. We must have a lot of subs this month for Bunko. I didn't know there were subs. Oh for yes, you have a you have a list of primary people it's like and a subs bullpen. <laughs> yeah, for Bunko. So, yeah. yeah, and so I I walked in, talked, had some great conversation, had a snack, got a drink. I remember she's a total extrovert, so yeah. that helps. This it, is not it, a scary situation no. at all. No, I, I was turned like, around okay, I never went gone. I'm excited to play Bunko. And so as I was talking to this one woman, this other lady in the living room stands up and she says, all right, everybody come on into the living room for the PTA meeting. (laughs) (laughs) And I stood there and went, what? And she goes, are you not here for the PTA meeting? And I said, no, I'm here to play Bunko. And she said, what? Who plays Bunko at lunchtime? I said, I know. So she asked me, she said, where, who are you looking for? And I told her, and she goes, oh, they live two doors up. Oh. So I had ro- walked into the wrong house, oh. ate strangers' food and snacks and drinks. And was elected PTA <laughs> president. <laughs> <laughs> and I left and found the right house. Yeah. But I thought that was the funniest thing. And calling Greg and connecting in that way, we do that a lot. I'll call and say, usually it's me, these weird things happen to. So I'll call him and say, you're not going to believe what just happened. And it always I think cheers me right and up. And I think it's really important to catalog those and to share those stories. They become part of the fabric of the relationship. You know, for us, it's a simple thing as a head nod. There was a time Dina and I were talking, and I said, well, where was such and such at? And she, she did this little head nod to the right. 
And it's like, sweetheart, there are like five million people in that direction. I mean, I, I don't know what the head nod means for where you're talking about. So anytime a situation needs to be kind of diffused, I'll just look at her and say, you mean like this? And I'll twitch my head a little bit, and she knows exactly what I'm doing. See, I just thought you had a natural tick. Yeah. I've seen you do that No, before, I'm just trying to have so fun. It's good. It's, you know, I, I, boys now, just want to have fun. Safe. Now say. I know what you mean by I that. I appreciate that. Well, we want you to know Greg and Aaron more, and you can learn more about them and the insights and the wisdom that God has given them in their excellent book called Reconnected. It doesn't matter where you are in your marriage journey. Uh, This is really a great read uh, for you and your spouse, and you're going to find details about it uh, in the episode notes. We'll talk about it a little bit more later on. But for now, let's go ahead and hear more from comedian John Branion who uh, tells more now of the humorous side of marriage, including a heartwarming story from his own family. And in the midst of all of it, in the midst of unanswered questions and confusion of roles and kids flying around the planet, in the middle of all the chaos, I'm still expected to be romantic. (laughs) I'm still expected to breathe new wind on the embers of romance. (laughs) She will appear from nowhere. Take me someplace. Take me someplace nice. Because we never go anywhere. That's why we just stay home all the time. And I don't want to stay home all the time. I want to go someplace with you. I want to go out somewhere with you. So take me someplace. Take me someplace nice. All right. Where do you want to go? I don't want to tell you where to take me. That would ruin everything. place to go. So I got tickets to the tractor pull. That was wrong. We have so many friends whose cummerbunds match the flowers, match the dresses, and they marched down the aisle. They took a vow, a vow until death do us part. And then they parted. And they weren't dead. I think love takes longer than that. It takes a lifetime. It takes a whole lifetime to learn what really annoys them. So you can do it again and again and again. If you stick with it, eventually you'll zero in on the source of conflict. You'll figure out what it is that causes the two of you to fight. Lori and I did. It's me. I remember the first fight that I caused. It was right after we got married. And I wanted to go out with the guys, you know, just me and the guys like we used to for old time's sake. And she wanted me to stay there with her and cut the cake and throw the bouquet. (laughs) And even now sometimes she'll get me backed into a corner, maneuvered so I can't escape. And she'll say, John, listen, sweetie, I was just reading in Cosmo. Cosmo, great. Bring it on. If you could start all over again, if you could wipe the slate clean. Hey, look at me. This is important. (laughs) 
If you could start all over again and wipe the slate clean, start afresh, would you get married again? The speed with which you answer that question is as important as the answer itself. And the truth is, after 21 years, the answer to that question is yes. I would, I would marry the exact same girl again. Because what I've learned over these years is that the two of us together are somehow better than the sum of the individual parts. And she is so many things I could never be. And I'm so many things that she doesn't want to be. complimentary. We haven't mastered it. We're still learning, both of us. I'm learning that she's like a flower, a flower with infinite petals. And each petal is a little more complex and a little more lovely than the petal that preceded it. And it's going to take a lifetime to examine every subtle nuance, every tiny little facet of her personality that makes her unique and special, different from all the rest and beautiful. I know her favorite color. I know how she looks in the morning. I know her shoe size. I know how she cooks. Beep, beep. It's an ancient family recipe. <laughs> For microwave popcorn? That's... Family recipe is this side up. <laughs> I know how she drives. Wow. <laughs> She's got this motto, well, we pay for insurance, we might as well use it. <laughs> She does stuff with insurance I could never do. She hit a deer. She once hit a deer that was already dead in the middle of the... <laughs> Tore the running board off the car, knocked the wheels all out of alignment. She was so upset. I'm sorry, Johnny. Didn't hit him on purpose. <sighs> I didn't get mad. I couldn't get mad. Because you know those deer crossing signs by the road? They always show the deer like this. <laughs> never shows them like this. <laughs> And late at night on long trips, when I'm driving, she'll sit up front with me and she'll go, well, it's late at night on long trip. You're probably pretty tired, aren't you? Because it's late at night on long trip. <laughs> so I'll just sit up front with you and keep you company, help you stay awake. Mm. <laughs> Five miles down the road, she's sound asleep. <laughs> so this is what I do. Pull into the first rest park that I come to where the semis are idling with their lights on. Pull nose to nose with the semi. Throw the car in neutral. Hit the gas and go, But you know what happened after the wedding cake was eaten and the flowers wilted, all the thank yous have been sent out? After that, after the wedding, then real life settled in. And real life, I mean, day-to-day -day life is hard and it's mundane and it doesn't feel the way it feels when you're planning a big wedding. It doesn't feel the way it feels when you're dating. Someday it doesn't feel like it's worth it. And every time those feelings come over me, I have these memories of my great-grandparents, great-grandpa Frank, Mamie. When we were little, we'd go over to their house, my brother and I, and great-grandpa Frank would sit in a big overstuffed chair by the window 
We'd stand right in front of him and he'd lean forward in that chair and talk with his hands and tell us all the stuff that little boys are supposed to know. You know, he taught us how to bait a hook and cast a line so the big fish would hit. Taught us how to build a tree house up in the branches so the floor wouldn't sag, roof wouldn't leak. Taught us how to sit on the handlebars of our bikes and ride them backwards, downhill, <laughs> with groceries. And all afternoon in the rocking chair right next to him was my great-grandmother, Mamie. She'd have her hands in her lap, and she'd rock back and forth and look over at him while he talked, and she'd shake her head and roll her eyes. And she would laugh at the same jokes that she'd heard him tell a billion times before. In the middle of a story, he'd look over, pat her on the knee, wink at her, jump right back in and never miss a beat. And as years went by, we started to notice that Mamie was having trouble remembering things like recipes that used to come from her heart, the names of the neighbors that lived right next door. So my great-grandfather's job became to just be with Mamie constantly, make sure she didn't forget something important like unplugging an iron or shutting off the stove, but she got worse. And pretty soon she was more than he could handle all by himself. He was too old, so they had to move out of their house and into a nursing home. And I remember the time that we went to visit the nursing home, dinner time. Great-grandpa Frank sat across the table from Mamie. His plate sat over to the side, got cold. Well, he took one spoonful at a time from her plate, fed it to her. Then he'd smile at her, he'd wink, take a napkin, wipe her chin. Mamie couldn't use the toilet by herself. So every time she had to go, he'd take her in and help her with all of those responsibilities every single time. And during all of those years when he was doing that, we never heard him complain. He never once snapped and said, you know what, I'm an old man. And I've had a long, tough life too. And now I can't even blink with Mamie around because if I do, she may wander off or she'll fall and hurt herself. And I have to feed her. I have to bathe her. I have to take her to the toilet. He never complained. Then there was a day that my brother and I went to visit nursing home. Great Grandpa Frank sat in his big overstuffed chair. He looked up at the two of us and said, you know, boys? And there was a tear right here. He said, Mamie... Mamie doesn't know who I am anymore. And that was the first complaint that I ever heard him speak about his little bride. It didn't seem to bother him to be with her constantly. It didn't bother him to have to feed her and bathe her and take her to the restroom. What broke his heart was when all of those times were over. Two of them were married for 70 years, 70 anniversaries with the same person. And I am positive that after all of those decades, she was not the same girl that he married. She didn't look the same. They didn't do the things they used to do when they were young and strong. She couldn't even remember who he was. But there's no doubt that my grandfather was still crazy in love with her. Because love is not what you feel. Love is what you do. That is a special story from John Branyan. What a, what a remarkable example of true love. And uh, he saw that firsthand in his great-grandparents. And uh, as I turn to Greg and Aaron Smalley, uh, you two have shared so much about the examples that your parents have set for you. Uh, how do you remind yourselves to be a good example, Aaron? for your own kids. How do you demonstrate that kind of love? Well, I know that our kids are watching us. We have these little eyes watching us. And I know that they are learning how to be married by watching us. Whatever we're creating within our home is what they will pull to recreate in their marriage someday. I was cracking up today even. We were standing in our kitchen and Greg came over and hugged me. And our dog, Olive, 
is like right in the middle of us. Like she is so excited that we're hugging. And in many ways, we're teaching all of what marriage means. <laughs> I've cracked Which is up. Good. Yes. But it's the same way our kids, you know, they get all squirrely and weird yeah. when they see mom and dad kiss or mom and dad hug. But yet we're teaching them that connection, that physical touch and affection is part of marriage. And we're modeling that. So it's just recognizing that we are modeling marriage for our own kids in our home. And I think one of the most powerful ways to do this is to reminisce with your kids on just the memorable stories, kind of like we've done here in the episode. There's something about uh, retelling stories. I mean, we're, we're unique in that Aaron and I teach marriage seminars across the country, and we drag our kids often to those. And so they've sat through many of our stories, but... We will be at the dinner table, um, we'll be other places, and we'll just, we'll go, hey, remember the time? In reminiscing about the memorable events in your own marriage, what it does is it reinforces that you guys are pretty good together. It's not that we have a perfect marriage, yeah. it, but it, it just underscores that, listen, that we've had great times, we, we've had hard times. And then there's been moments that God has really done things and have grown us. And, and I think our kids need to hear all of that. And and so as you're reminiscing, be sure to include kind of the turning points. So here's what God did through that. Yeah. Here's how we've grown. Because mm-hmm. our kids just need to to hear that again and again and again, that, that we're, we're committed for a lifetime. And we're going to keep growing, and we're going to have a whole lot of fun together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love when our kids get better at telling the stories than we can even tell them. And I think it's so important to recognize you have that opportunity to tell your story. So many people will say to us, we don't have those funny things that happen to us. But just recently, I had a client, uh, a man that said, you know, I've been keeping a list of fun things that my wife and I have done for the last 20 years. Mm. And I love that because so often what we'll write down is because many other times I'll have couples come in and somebody will say, well, I have a list of all the things that are bothering me about him or her. What an opportunity to remember and to reminisce about the fun things that you've done together over the years. And that's powerful to focus on that. I hadn't thought about this until this moment as you're speaking. Uh, Recently, our youngest daughter moved out and she didn't take all the pictures off her wall. She's got... She's like seven? <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's 22. Oh, good. So um, she moved out, and we moved into her bedroom. And so we're going to sleep looking at this collage of pictures she has on the wall. And Dina looked at me one night and said, what? What's wrong? I said, nothing's wrong, but she's got a lot of pictures of us up there from some of our early days and just some of the fun pictures mm, that we've cool. taken along the way. And I thought, as we're speaking about this, I thought, I didn't know she was paying so much attention, but those are meaningful pictures, not just to me, but to my daughter as well. Mm-hmm. There are moments in time when her parents were having fun together or doing something meaningful together or showing affection toward each other. So those meaningful pictures of mine that I don't know where she found them, hmm. but she's got them on her wall and I'm not taking them down. And it's a good reminder that your kids are watching you and they, they want to be part, they are part of your story, so model it well. And I hope you've been encouraged in this episode to laugh together, to love together well, and to do so for the next generations, not just your kids, but maybe even your great-grandkids. Um, you know, we talked earlier about Greg and Aaron's book, Reconnected, Moving from Roommates to Soulmates in Your Marriage. 
And we're making that available today for a donation of any amount to the Ministry of Focus on the Family. And Greg, why don't you go ahead and just share some headlines from that book, why our listeners might want to get a copy of it. Yeah, Aaron and I kept hearing from couples something sort of like this, that we, we love each other, we're committed for a lifetime, but we feel super disconnected, kind of like we're just nothing more than married roommates. And we heard that again and again and again. And so what Aaron and I did is we began to do research by interviewing couples in couples who said, you know, we feel like roommates. Why? What's going on? And over time, we we identified 11 behaviors that when we're operating in these ways, really set us up to feel disconnected, to feel like roommates. And then we've given just one very simple um, kind of tip on how to overcome that particular mm-hmm. roommate behavior. Yeah. Well, l- listen, as you can tell, Greg and Aaron have a heart for marriage. They want to help your marriage. Let me strongly encourage you to get a copy of the book, Reconnected, Moving from Roommates to Soulmates in Your Marriage. Uh, the link for making a donation and for getting that book and for other resources as well. Uh, those links are in the show notes. Next time, we're going to have some fun conversations about connecting with your spouse, even in the busy seasons of life. For now, on behalf of Greg and Aaron Smalley and our entire team here, thanks for listening to the Loving Well Podcast.